You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome back to Inside the Forest. I'm your host, Cameron Lemons Debrow. It's bandy week, a week that I think we're all excited about for numerous reasons. Sam Hartman, you know, facing an SC opponent. Um, but you know, Vanderbilt's been kind of a team that I don't know a lot of us know a whole lot about. I don't know how many people stayed up and watched the Hawaii game a few weeks ago. I don't really know how many people might, may have tuned in for, you know, a game against Elon. So Stein to get a little bit of help on this one. And uh, Robbie Weinstein from two, um, Bandy 247. How you doing today, Robbie? <laughs> I'm good. Uh, getting ready for, uh, you know, certainly a more interesting opponent from a Vanderbilt perspective uh, than the first two games, which, uh, you know, especially the first one was pretty much a no contest. And uh, yeah, 11 a.m. game. I like the early starts as, you know, somebody who goes to the game to cover them. So I, I'm, you know, interested to see how this one plays out. Yeah, um, that also did throw me off when the game was announced. I'm kind of used to Eastern time and I was like, oh, yeah, I'm doing game. And then when I was covering, I was like, 11? We sure? um yeah right i mean i guess before we get into vanderbilt you want to give a little bit about yourself and how you got into i guess covering bandy Mm -hmm. yeah um i uh i I was a student at vanderbilt and um i I wrote for the student newspaper and and had a uh a radio show also uh on the student radio station and um uh you know, long story short, I was um, working at a, a newspaper in the Chicago area and um, had the chance to uh, come back here where I have a, a lot of friends here in Nashville. And um, so I, I've been doing this since uh, January 2020. And certainly, you know, so I started right before COVID hit and, and it's been nice over the last um you know, year or so for things to open back up a little bit more. Uh, but uh, so I, I, you know, pre 2013, I, I didn't really follow Vanderbilt. I know actually they had a series against Wake at that point. Yeah. Uh, but uh, certainly last nine, 10 years, I've uh, been, you know, following them pretty closely, including the last three years as a, as a reporter for 24 seven. So I guess what's been like the sort of, I don't want to call it, I want to say growth, I guess. And you've seen, from when you were at the student kind of to now, um, I guess, really a difference from the coaching staff. Well, I, I was there for the last year of James Franklin. Um, that was, uh, so, I mean, they had a really good team that year and went nine and four. Um, so I, I don't have as much context for that uh, compared to uh, the Derek Mason era. Uh, you know, I think the biggest difference is probably the plan and recruiting and, and also the investment from the university, both are a lot better. Uh, they, you know, the, the stadium hasn't had a significant renovation in forever and they're investing a lot of money in, in renovating the facilities. Like I think it's now up to about $400 million over the next few years. And then uh, they just have more people on staff and a, a better, you know, I think probably a better all around approach as opposed to like the skeleton crew that they kind of had in the recruiting department. Uh, late in Mason's tenure. So, um, you know, I, who knows how well it'll work because the SEC is, is so tough, but um, they, they're doing some good things. I, I don't know how long it's going to take for those to show up, you know, a little bit more. So that kind of leads into what I was going to ask next. I mean, having a defensive-minded head coach, I know you guys had Mason beforehand, and now you guys have Clark Lee. You know, 
was there a bit of pushback having another sort of defensive mind minded coach and how have the fans really kind of come around on Lee? <laughs> yeah, I, I think initially there was some disappointment in that. And, and the athletic director, Candace Lee, had said after firing Mason that their preference was to hire somebody with an offensive background. That obviously was not, you know, uh, among the top criteria necessarily. It was more like a secondary thing. Uh, you know, I, I think as time has gone on, it, people are split on, on Clark Lee a little bit, obviously, because the team was so so bad last season. But I, I don't think, you know, I think people will realize pretty quickly, like, you, you know, you are hiring this guy to be your head coach, not the, not the defensive coordinator. So I, I think – you know, that aspect of it is probably pretty overrated, I would say, in general. Uh, but for sure, there was some initial pushback from there. And at this point, it's more about, you know, I, I do think he needs to win over some fans and generate some excitement this season. They've done a, a decent enough job, you know, I guess in the first two games of doing that. Two games they were supposed to win, and they won them. Uh, but uh, it, there's, of course, going to need to be more. I mean, you need to do, as an SEC team, you, you need to do more than just beat Hawaii and Elon. No, completely fair. I mean, as someone that has the over on the win total for Vandy, I am all on for Team Vandy this year. I mean, how the fans really reacted to, you know, the 2-0 start, regardless of who you're playing, you know, how was that adjusted expectations going into, you know, a much tougher part of the schedule? Yeah, I, I think there was probably – I think, like, what you're always going to get is is an overreaction in either direction after a good game or a bad game. Uh, the Hawaii game – you know, all of a sudden there was some talk like, oh, maybe Vandy could sneak into a, you know, a bowl game or, you know, five wins. We're definitely going to win an SEC game. But, you know, Hawaii and I was saying this before the game is is that there was a really good chance that with a first time head coach who had never been a coordinator, they lost all these players. Like, they could be the worst team at FBS and, and they turned out to be even worse than my expectation Uh and then, you know, the Elon game, I, I think Elon actually has a pretty good team and is going to be in the mix to make the FCS playoffs. Their quarterback was previously at NC State, and he was really good last season for one of the best teams in FCS at Montana State. They returned almost everyone. They're a lot better than Hawaii. And, and you know, it was it was uh, a closer, more competitive game than Vanderbilt fans expected. And, you know, there was a freak out after that. But you know, so I, I think it's it's sort of split, but overall, in my opinion, I think Vandy has been a little bit better than I expected because uh, they are dealing they're dealing with some injuries and suspensions right now. Like I think the lack of depth caught up to them a little bit against Elon, and, and there are some other things that they can fix that I don't think are going to be such a big issue moving forward uh, once they adjust from a coaching perspective. And I, I just think the offense is better than I than I thought it was going to be this season. I, I didn't see. I mean, Vandy has basically never scored. 63 points in the modern era against anyone. So even though Hawaii is historically bad, we're talking like 50, 60 years of history here, and, and they've never done that. That is a point. But, I mean, to your point on the offense, I've been really impressed with what I've seen, at least on the ground, from Mike Wright. Uh, can you give us a little bit of insight, you know, how that really went down with, with him, Ken Seals? I know you got, he's got a captain of quarterback and A.J. Swan sort of backing him up now. So how did that process really go down from when it felt like at least last year Ken Seals was the guy and then – you know, all of a sudden it's the media day and Mike Wright shows up out of nowhere. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Wright came out of the spring leading the quarterback competition by all accounts. Uh, Vandy didn't say that publicly, but it was, it was clear. Uh, what happened last year is that, you know, it wasn't in a lot of ways, it wasn't Ken Seals fault. It's just that 
Uh, the the Andy's offensive line for years has been bad, very bad. Uh, they've gotten they look a little bit better this season. I think more so they're doing better things on offense to cover that up. But um, you know, you when you've got a quarterback who's not a dual threat passer or a dual dual threat player, Ken Seals was kind of a sitting duck in the pocket and he got hurt. He had like four different injuries going on at, at the same time last year. And then when he went out, he had like some kind of surgery on his finger and uh, right came in and actually didn't have to look over his shoulder. The offense um, operated a lot better. His stats from last season, of course, rights weren't off the charts. I think he only completed about 53% of his passes, but he ran for like 150 yards against Missouri. And it was clear the way things opened that up, opened up the offense that, you know, just due to how their roster is structured with a poor offensive line that they were going to have to go that direction. And so that's pretty much how it happened. You know, I think a huge mistake, one of the reasons why Vandy was so bad last year wasn't really the roster. It was that the coaching was, was a nightmare. Uh, They were yanking the quarterbacks back and forth. They demoted the offensive coordinator one week into fall camp. Uh, It was serious. Like it was, it was, I had, I've never heard of that. And this off season, they committed to write, after spring ball and, and designed an offense around him. And I think that's why we're seeing much more competence uh, just because they uh, have made adjustments from a coaching perspective. And certainly Wright is in a environment now where it's more prone to like positive development because he knows he's the starter and he can just focus on getting better instead of worrying about beating out Ken Seals or anyone else. So, I mean, I, it's, it's lovely to hear that. And I know there's been some kind of, I, get, I feel like shuffling them up the bottom of the thing. I know Julian Hernandez, I mean, kind of like an inner at sort of out sort of thing, starting center. You know, how has it been with him in and out sort of this year, the first two games? <laughs> I think they're okay as long as they only have one injury. Their offensive line is not deep at all. They've got only eight guys who are, or maybe even really only seven guys who are going to be playable like at the power five level right now. So I think they can deal with one injury. If it goes beyond that, then they're definitely in trouble like later in the season. But I, you know, what they've done is that they're heavier and heavier on RPO stuff than ever before. And the issue, so I I don't think the offensive line last year was that horrible at run blocking. It's just the, the pass pro was, was bad. I mean, Tyler Steen who transferred to Alabama is so weird to me. He didn't have a great season last year against ETSU. He got blown by on the edge and Wright got injured because Steen didn't put up any resistance and Wright got driven into the ground and hurt his shoulder. So uh, what they're doing basically is they're protecting the tackles by having them, you know, run block on pass plays. And uh, that has really helped. Uh, Hernandez is probably, I'd say he's one of their three best offensive linemen. So if he's available, which it sounds like he will be, that will help some. Um, but, uh, I mean, it's like, they've got plenty of size, at least, you know, outside of like the top 25 teams in terms of recruiting or whatever, they don't have six, seven, 320 pound offensive tackles, but, uh, they're they're definitely like limited if they have to play from behind, but you know, that's why they're going to be a relatively run heavy team. And so far it has worked pretty well in terms of keeping the tackles from getting exposed against like speed rushers on the outside. Like, you know, you won't really win that much when they're kind of behind, whether it's in the score or just behind the six in general. I mean, I, I really like that. Enjoy the grind. What, what can they do? What should be the game plan, I guess, for them if they want to compete? And, you know, what can't they do if they want to keep this game, you know, within at least a score or two? <laughs> yeah, I, I think um, 
they are going to so in the first couple of games like i thought against hawaii that they would grind clock more than they did as, because they knew that they needed to win that game from a recruiting perspective as it turned out it was just such a no contest that they didn't really need to do i mean hawaii just couldn't stop them, right <laughs> so you're not going to tell mike right not to run for an 87 yard touchdown um i i think in this game they are going to go more ball control um yeah i mean they've actually been running some triple option so that i did see that <laughs> yeah pretty interesting um so they could i could see them doing more of that i think they probably held some stuff back against elon they haven't really thrown the ball to their running backs a lot and ray davis the starter is a very good receiver out of the backfield so you know i i have some questions about uh like wake i'm sure is going to stack the box and force vanderbilt to beat them in the downfield p- passing game um so that's going to kind of determine how well or how good of a game Vanderbilt has offensively. Uh, ideally, what they would do is pound the run game and drain the clock and try to tire out Wake's defense and keep the offense off the field. The question will be, you know, if Wake is stacking the box, how effectively will they be able to do that? And can they loosen things up enough to, you know, have the type of success in the run game where they're running for 200 plus yards? Um, kind of moving over to the defense. Um, I mean, I, I watched the Elon game a couple times in the last week. I don't want to ask what went wrong, but I mean, what was like what was happening? I, even though you're moving up in competition, which feels weird to say from Hawaii and Elon, you know, it just felt like they were like, what happened there? <laughs> um, the, I mean, the the biggest thing is that it was. I mean, I sort of hate to call them out in this way but you know these guys can get paid now is is they had one player who just had a total nightmare of a game bj anderson the starting boundary corner i think three or four pass interferences getting burnt like he gave up well over 100 yards combined i think just in the fourth quarter um so that's that's what the issue was for the most part (laughs) he um you know they didn't they didn't rotate that they did not rotate their defensive players it was really weird especially the corners the two corners played the whole game uh, and that is not what I mean. Clark Lee had said in the offseason multiple times, and not just at corner, but at a number of various positions, like wide receiver, for instance, that they wanted to use. You know, they're not the deepest team in the world, but they need to use more players. And for whatever reason, they didn't in that game. Clark Lee called out his staff after. I think it, it was my understanding is it was aimed at the defensive coordinator, Nick Howell. And, um, by the end of the game, their stance on this at least is that Anderson was tired from playing the whole game and, and his technique broke down, you know, against some pretty good wide receivers, honestly, from Elon. Uh, what they're going to do, I mean, I think they're going to have to in this game and they should have been doing it already, is their backup boundary corners at least. I mean, he's a transfer from UConn and he may be better than the starter. Um, he They were pretty much equal in fall camp. Anderson did have a good fall camp. He was good against Hawaii, but uh Jeremy Lucian, who's transferred from UConn, we had him rated as a high three-star recruit, which indicates he's a power five starter. Uh, he's going to get in there more. They're going to need him against, um, um, what's the AT Perry, right? Yeah, or, yeah they're going to need him. <laughs> um, so, you know, I mean, I think that's the main thing that happened. Vandy it doesn't have a lot of pass rushers, and we combine that with uh, one corner just getting beat left and right. 
that's a recipe for disaster, especially against a team like Elon. I mean, I think they, they had multiple, you know, their, their third wide receiver had an Odell Beckham catch. I, I do think they're actually, they've got some good skill position players on offense. So uh, Vandy's going to need to rotate more and, and they were super conservative defensively and they're going to need to get more back toward what they did against Hawaii, where they brought like these exotic blitzes to try to generate some pressure without just the front four. That makes sense. I mean, I'm I'm a big fan of a lot of the skill players that you guys have, like Jalen Jalen Mahoney. I know. I think he got moved to Nickelback. I think I saw the depth chart this upcoming. This, this yeah, week. I don't know how. I think the depth chart is pretty um, misleading <laughs> because what they do is they alternate. Like they will slide. Um, their their nickel position is more of a hybrid. It's like the you know Jeremiah Wusu Koromoa from from the Notre Dame days. It's more of a hybrid linebacker type. You know type of deal and so they always shift you know one of the safeties back and forth with that player to try to confuse defenses so I don't know that he's really quote unquote, moving there full-time I, I think that's just how they chose to present it that's fair yeah but between him I mean I know Dericky Wright big fan of Georgie I know there's a lot of talent on this line that, I mean you mentioned that point you know you can't let an AP carry or Donovan Green beat you but is there any sort of worry about like if Wake tries to keep things in the ground, I know there's been questions of the weather on Saturday or whatever. Like, I guess, is there any sort of worry about just say, we'll back off and give you everything underneath and figure it out from there? <laughs> yeah, no, I, I mean, I think, I think their biggest worry is for sure. I mean, you know, the Wake, the Wake passing offense, they're just not gonna, I don't think they're gonna stop it. And I think beyond that, their biggest worry is if they get to the fourth quarter and it's a competitive game, will they have anything left in the tank? So uh, their defensive, I mean, they've got three defensive linemen injured right now who would be rotational players. They've got a a corner who is suspended. They've got um, a linebacker who's injured, but potentially coming back this week. So I, I think that is their biggest concern is that they just don't have that many players right now. Um, and although they don't – like, I think size-wise, you look at the rosters, Vandy has a bigger roster. They've got – not in terms of numbers, in terms of just size. But there's so much more. You and I know, like, I mean, there's there's so much more to it in terms of uh, – like, they may not get pushed around in the first quarter, but uh, – if they get tired, these weight guys have been better coached over the last few years and they have a technique advantage. They have an experience advantage. And so I think one of Andy's concerns is, is you get into the second half. Uh, how are they going to play defense? Um, yeah. So I know we all, we both, I guess, I guess are on the timeline. If it ends up being a shootout, with an army 70, 50, for the game, Vandy probably doesn't want that. You know, what's the number that you're like, I feel comfortable if Vandy holds them to this. <laughs> Uh, geez, comfortable. I mean, I don't know. Like, or bet better is a bet. I guess you feel you feel better if they hold. <laughs> I mean, I think I think Vandy will score in the thirties. So okay. if they hold Wake below thirty, which isn't going to happen, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think this is going to be a big time shootout. Uh, I think Wake is going to be in the forties. I think Vandy could be in the in the forties also. Uh. So, I mean, yeah, if, if Vandy holds Wake below 30, then they would have to feel really, really good about that. But the chances of that, especially with Hartman playing, I, I just don't 
I don't know what the theory, the only theory there would be for the, how that would happen is Clark Lee as somebody who worked at wake and right. coached against them has just like this amazing game plan. And then <laughs> wake has a bunch of weird turnovers. That would basically, right. that's the only way that's happening. Um, how has like, I guess yourself and the fan base really handled, I guess the last 24 hours learning um, Hartman would be uh, coming back from the game. <laughs> well, it doesn't, doesn't matter to me, but uh, I think the fans, from what I've seen, are kind of split. Like, obviously, they all, you know, when it's a medical situation and not an injury, right. that's that's very scary. And everybody is that I've seen is is happy that Sam Hartman is okay. Um, and beyond that, I think it's pretty split between people like, oh, we wish we could have got the backup quarterback, and uh, you know, as opposed to, well, if we would have beat them, we speaking from the fans, right. <laughs> uh, if Vandy would have beat them, then you don't get that much credit because people will start making excuses. It's a backup quarterback, blah, blah, blah. Um, and, you know, then there's the com- competitive aspect where I think fans want their team to beat an opponent at full strength. Uh, so I've seen, I've seen a pretty split. I mean, I, I guess from a journalistic perspective, I think it's exciting to see the best players play in person and be able to write about it. So um, I, I'm glad I'll be able to see, you know, a potential All-American play in person who scored 50 touchdowns last year. That's pretty cool. Yeah, that's fair. Um, so I'm, I got both sides of the ball. Can you give me one player that I, that fans, I guess Wake fans really should look out and be like, this guy might change the game. And you're not allowed to say Mike Wright because I feel like that's yeah, right. Fair, fair. <laughs> yeah, uh, I would say Jaden McGowan, who was the SEC freshman of the week. And the reason why – you know, he's so important to their offense is that um, Vandy last year just didn't have any team speed at all. And and they're still improving there, but they at least brought in some guys who can really run. So he runs a four, three, five, 40. That was verified. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Uh, he's, he's small. He's small. He's five, eight, but he like four, three, five was verified at South Carolina camp. I don't know why they didn't offer him. Um, and they will, so he caught a 75 yard bomb last week, but they will also, they bring him in motion a lot. He can run the ball. They use him in triple options sometimes also. And so I think, you know, that is, they need to involve Wright, McGowan and Ray Davis, the running back and as many actions as possible. And so he's, you know, one of the guys I, I do think, I do have questions about Wake's team speed on defense, especially if Brendan Harris is playing for them. He would have been a backup at Vandy this year. Uh, and so that is somebody who Vandy is going to need to take advantage of. And Elon was bracketing him in the second half. So uh, I, I think Wake will probably focus on him a lot. Then defensively, um, you know, anybody who can bring a pass rush, I guess, like Darren <laughs> is another true freshman who Vandy flipped from Notre Dame yeah. who is very – like, he's impressive. I, I think, you know, their defensive linemen that they brought in are all, like, six 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 seven, but most of them are not really ready to play from a weight perspective. Agu is a little closer there. He's 240, but, you know, if you see him in person, he looks a little lean. Okay. And so he did have his first career sack against Elon, but, um, you know, I mean, they, they need something out of him, probably. Uh, if they can get anything out of him, that would be a big boost, but – you know, I, I do tend to think, I mean, I think Wake Forest has such an experience advantage against him and uh, he's very talented. So you never know, but that's, that's who I would look at because if Vandy, Vandy needs to get some sort of pass rush and it's not looking like they're going to be able to do that. Okay. That's right. 
Um, I mean, how do you expect attendance to be? You know, it's my first game in Nashville, so I haven't really been to a game. And, you know, with being 2 and them, I think fans would probably be more energized. You know, what should the Wake fan base that's traveling expect as sort of a sort of baseline for the Bandy fans? <laughs> Uh, I, I think attendance is going to be pretty poor, to be honest. Um, maybe 25,000, like out of a 40,000 seat stadium. I mean, the, the fans are really, uh, you know, they've, the football product has been so horrible yep. for the last few years. And, and I think they want to see a little more before they buy in. It's going to be, it's going to be rainy potentially. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, I mean, it's just not a very big, it's not a huge fan base and it's, relatively spread out because it's not a state school and you know that's the same thing for wake forest uh so people in nashville there aren't like the average person in nashville is not a, a vanderbilt football fan so i i don't i would be surprised if attendance is particularly good maybe maybe they'll surprise me but i, I think i i'm not getting the idea that um the fan base has been galvanized yet certainly if they were to pull a, an upset in this game then maybe after that but I would not expect it to be a raucous crowd at all. Okay. Fair. Um, so on that tone note of being in Nashville, you know, for the Wake fans that are traveling, we need to find dinner on Friday and Saturday. Where are we going? Yeah. I, hey, there's so much <laughs> everything here. Yeah, it's um, – the food scene here is really good. Uh, if you are going to, like, bars, so Midtown, like Demumbrian is a good place to go, and Tailgate is a – good pizza spot there that also has good beer uh hot chicken That's you know people chicken. differ on this yeah 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 uh patty b's is the place that people say is quote-unquote touristy but like that's where i go like it's legitimately good so i don't really care if it's touristy if it's also like really good uh prince's is sort of the traditional place but they don't have a lot of locations that are like close to the city there is um there's a food court on broadway called fifth and broad that has a lot of different options with like local places also yeah. that are pretty good. So that's not a bad stop. Um, and then what else? Uh, burgers, the the pharmacy in East Nashville is really good. I mean, you can find pretty much anything. Um, there's a good, you know, there's plenty of nicer restaurants also. Uh, it, it's the variety here is really good. It's, it's a, there's some issues with living here, but overall it's, <laughs> it's pretty good. Just the traffic sucks. Food is a water. So I got two more, and then I'll let you go from here. I mean, how do you see, regardless of this game, how do you see the rest of the season going for Vanderbilt? You know, what, what's on tap for next? Yeah, uh, I mean, my prediction coming into the season was three and nine. I, I, I sort of want to see what they do against Wake before moving off of that because, yeah, I, I honestly don't think Elon is bad. I think I think Vanderbilt fans, you know, especially with COVID. Um, the top FCS teams have more talent right now and more size at the line of scrimmage than they've ever had before. So I think just looking at them as a generic FCS team is, is probably not the right way to look at it, but the SEC is going to be so much tougher and Hawaii's a joke. So I want to see, I want to see what happens with this game before I move off of that three and nine prediction. But uh, coming into the season, I thought that they would, even if they didn't win significantly more games, they would be a lot more competitive and they like, they lost to Mississippi state by I think almost 40 points last year and some other really bad results against teams that were just so, so uh, I, I think those games are going to be competitive this year. They're still going to get absolutely obliterated by Alabama and Georgia, but so does everybody else pretty much. Uh, so that, I think that's, 
you know, I like, I don't think they're going to make a bowl game by any means. It's there's an outside chance, but I'm probably still on the train right now where they win like three or four games and are generally a lot more competitive and, and, you know, don't make your eyes bleed when you watch them. But I think the wins are still a year or two away, probably. I mean, the last, I mean, most obvious one, what do you think happens? (laughs) Yeah, I I think Wake is going to light them up through the air, probably. Um, I think Vandy, I, I really think, you know, Wright is legitimately super fast. And yes. I think that it's not just, it's nothing against Wake. I think he is going to run for a lot of yards against Tennessee, against Ole Miss, against Missouri, against uh, basically everybody except for Alabama and Georgia, like Kentucky, South Carolina. Uh, so I think there's not a lot of great like, – I don't know how many teams are going to have great answers for him and for how they use him with some triple option stuff and then all this RPO game. So I, maybe like something like 49-35 or, or uh, 45-35. Uh, I, I don't – I would be a little more surprised if Wake wins by like three or four – or maybe not three touchdowns, but I think if Wake like scores 60 points and – wins by four touchdowns. I'd be a little surprised by that just because looking back at the results last year, like I think Vandy this year is pretty comparable to a six and six ACC team, to be honest. Um, But I also don't think, I think Wake will pull away in the fourth quarter or in the third quarter. I don't know that they're going to be under a ton of game pressure at the end, but I also, I do think it'll be a game at halftime. Yeah, no, I definitely, at least for myself, I have them, compared to like as uh, Syracuse the last year. So that's actually a very, uh, yeah, so, you know, Syracuse, BC, um, maybe Louisville, apparently. I don't know. Why <laughs> that, but like, you know, I think Vandy could be like a UVA or someone like that. Um, but Wake, as we know, Wake is significantly better than those teams, a lot better than those teams. So that's, they're, they're the deserved favorites uh, by quite a bit. Robbie, uh, thanks so much for joining me. Uh, where can the fans find you? Yeah, Vandy247.com and uh, Vandy and Wake sometimes recruit or uh, compete for recruits. So certainly uh, any guys that uh, both those teams are on, feel free to come over and, uh, you know, read whatever they're saying about Vandy as well. Thanks so much, Robbie, and and for everyone, go Deeks. Jeremy Renner returns to Paramount Plus for a brand new season of the original hit series, Mayor of Kingstown. My job is to create a balance, avoid a war. From executive producer Taylor Sheridan, co-creator of Yellowstone. There's some new players in town, and they brought the flag. And Antoine Fuqua, director of Training Day. I know it's always been a war zone, Mike, but this is next level. The mayor is back in business. Are you warning me? You're going to find out. Mayor of Kingstown. New season streaming June 2nd, exclusively on Paramount+. Plus.